I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thanks for being here this morning, for listening online later, wherever you're listening to this. I want to thank you for joining in, for tuning in, for being here. What a year we had in 2013. For so many of you, um, it was full of all kinds of things, all kinds of relationship changes, all kinds of business changes, all kinds of personal changes. And now here we are getting into 2014 with the new year and all that comes with that. Very exciting times. I want to tell you before we start into where we're heading this morning that in two weeks we're beginning a new series here. If you're into new things, into trying new things at this time of year, I want to tell you about this series. It's called The Seven. The Seven is simply a, a message series designed to help us think about the impact of sin on our relationships. In other words, the things that keep us from experiencing healthy, vital relationships and how far sin has gone to impact each one of us in that regard. So we're using the seven deadly sins for seven weeks, going to talk about, about that, okay? But this morning, we find ourselves looking at what um, many of you now refer to as the State of the Union Address, well, not really the Union, State of the Church Address, whatever you might want to call it. Um, on this first Sunday of the year, as I've done for a couple of years now, uh, what I like to do is kind of recap where we've been and kind of clarify where we're going as a church body. Uh, this morning is no different in that regard. I'd like to do that uh, with you. Um, so I've heard many of you say over the past year, hey, we like where things are going. And when I hear that, I'm, of course, encouraged, but I also want to know, um, but I'm kind of hesitant to ask, like, what, where do you think we're going? Like, like, how would you put it into words? Like, what, what do you think, what do you like? I mean, what, what do you see? What do you get excited about? What, you, what are you passionate about? What, where are we going? Now, I, I have my ideas, and I think we have some clarity of that, but this morning is kind of meant to bring some clarity to that for all of us together so that we're talking about the same thing, so that our language around the things that we experience is the same, okay? So in order to start, here's where I want to start. I want you, if you have a Bible with you or near you, to grab your Bible. We're going to kick it right off into the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew near you. It's that red book. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you today. You can take that home with you and read that. Uh, but the Gospel of John, the first chapter of that Gospel, if you're just finding John, you'll go to the New Testament, which is the, the, the last kind of third of your Bible. You'll find Matthew and then Mark and then Luke and then John. John chapter 1, and, and John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He walked around with him for a few years and and John is known as, as Jesus' beloved or the disciple whom Jesus loved, had a very personal relationship with him. And so John is writing these things, and he begins in verse 1 of, of John chapter 1. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, what John is referring to as the Word is Jesus, okay? So in, in other words, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word is synonymous with Jesus. And I want you to notice verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Here's what you already know about Jesus. He somehow made his way to earth. He, he somehow made his way to us. And verse 2 tells us he was with God in the beginning. In other words, there was a time in this relationship that we call the Trinity, where God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, were together in relationship where they were not in the messiness of the sinful world that you and I live in, but they were in heaven, if you will, separate from the experiences of this world. So Jesus was with God in the beginning. And how comfortable 
would it have been for Jesus to stay away from the messes of life that we deal with? He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In other words, everything that's been created has been created through the blessing and really the power and the strength of Jesus. Amazing thought. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God and his name was John, not this John who wrote this and other John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So there's a guy, a predecessor, a forerunner, someone who came ahead of time and said, hey, the Messiah is coming. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Amazing, amazing. You make it, and they don't notice that you're the maker. Amazing. So verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Ever been rejected? Ever been pushed back by people you love or you're interested in? Okay, Jesus has been there. Verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In other words, when the decision is made for you or for me to place our faith in Jesus, we become adopted, if you will, into God's family through the blood of Jesus. And then verse 14, a key verse which if you have church background, you may have memorized. If you don't have church background, we're going to introduce it to you here this morning for the first time. A very powerful single verse in the entire New Testament. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and what? Truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is what we call Jesus' incarnation. In other words, the language that's used is like uh, the Old Testament use of the word tabernacle or, or tent of meeting. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel would take their tent, their house of worship, if you will, and move it with them as they went through the wilderness. And wherever they dropped it and put it is where they believed the presence of God was. That image is what John takes here and says, hey, the place where you worship God, Jesus, boom, he dropped that in the middle of us, and he made his dwelling among us. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full, full of grace and full of truth. It's an amazing statement to finish that verse, full of grace and truth. In other words, not a balance of grace and truth, right? Not like he has 50% grace and 50% truth. He's full of grace. And he's also full of truth. Interesting concept, isn't it? Because my background is that I come from a background that is more about truth than about grace. And I don't know where you come from. My background is one where it's important for me, and I believe um, as I was raised and the, the experiences I had uh, in the churches that I grew up in and the, the schools I went to, that it was more about it is important for us to communicate truth and stand on the truth, that we're all about the truth. It's important that we get the truth right. And it's difficult for all of us, really for any of us, to understand how in the world a man like Jesus could be full of grace and full 
of truth without compromising either one. Because the truth people on this side look at the grace people, and the grace people over here are like, hey, come as you are, just come as you are. We have no judgment on you, come as you are. And the truth people are like, yeah, 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 come as you are. But you don't want people to stay like that. I mean, none of us want to stay the way we were. We have to change based on the truth. And Jesus somehow comes, and he comes full of grace, in which he says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and tired and heavy laden or burdened with cares and sin and problems, come to me all of you who you are, even to the little kids who says, hey, let the little children come to me. He honors the lowest of society in ways that no one else did, the tax collectors and sinners. He said, come to me as you are. I'm going to you. If you ever remember that song, that little Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, I wasn't planning to sing, but that just kind of came to me. Zacchaeus, right? Jesus comes full of grace to Zacchaeus, to the tax collectors and sinners, and says, come as you are. In fact, I'm going to come to you as you are. But then there's this other side of Jesus that is full also of truth, that is not content to keep people where they are, or to keep us where we are. And this great balance is what the balance of the incarnation is about. When Jesus comes to us, he comes full of grace, and he comes full of truth. And somehow, as we walk through the world that we walk through now, as we walk into the community that we are a part of now, if we are somehow to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, somehow we have got to represent in some way, shape, and form people who are full of of grace, come as you are, without my judgment on you, come as you are. In fact, you don't even need to come to me, I'm going to go to you as you are before you change. And yet, somehow, be people of truth, who hold out the hope of Jesus, who hold out the truth because it's the most gracious and loving thing to do, to be people who are full of both great acceptance, great openness, non-judgmental, and at the same time, be full of the truth of God. Now, if that's not a challenge, then I don't know what is in terms of how we live. And so as we think about that as our foundation, here's what I have to say. We have been through a lot of GPC over the last several years, and I think we're in one of these seasons right now where we are coming through a period of asking some questions. And my hope now, with John 1 as our backdrop, as our foundation, is I want to build off of John 1 and the principle of the incarnation, being people and a church body of grace and truth, and talk about what I see happening at Grace Point and how we can maybe talk about what's going on among us. Okay? So, with that as background, okay, here we go. Um, I think we, we have been asking some questions I want to make sure you all can see me. The seat thing is a new thing for me. If you're listening online, you don't know what I'm doing. I just sat down, and I don't know how this is going to work, so if I get up and get down, just kind of let's roll with that. Um, here's what I think is happening at GPC, that we have been in a period where we have been asking different questions over the last several years in our, in our near history. Uh, let's say six years ago, one of the questions we asked was this, will we survive? Um, if you were here with us during that time, you know what that question means. We went through a difficult period. That's no, uh, no secret. It's a hard time for us to revisit, but it's reality. We had a difficult period of time. Uh, very, uh, very hard for many of us. So we asked the question, will we survive? That was about six years ago. And then 
After we got done asking that question, because the answer became, we think somehow, yes, that God's not done with his church body yet, then the question, next question became, what do we do now? Like, it, we're still here. Wow. Now, what do we do? You know, what, what do we do now? That was kind of the next question. That was about four years ago, I think. We were kind of asking that question. Okay, we're here. We're alive. Everything's still alive. No one's di- dead here. Okay, what do, well, some people died along the way, but not because of that. You get, you get you know what I'm saying. All right. Now, what, what do we do now? What do we do now? And in that period, we decided to do one thing that I think was pivotal for us as a church body, and that is we killed something. We killed our missions conference, our annual missions conference. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but what that did is that gave us um, a reason to rethink what we do in terms of our strategy for outreach and mission in our community and the world. And so we asked the question, what do we do now? And one of the things that we answered that with was we need to do something called the Great Send-Off of 2012, or 2011, excuse me, and that turned into the Together Initiative of 2012. And so what do we do now was part of what you see up here, this picture of the start line of the, what is now the annual Paradise Run, Ride, and Walk, where we said, you know what, we want to be involved in this community and in this world in a way, in a strategic way that we have not done before. We don't want to just have people come tell us what we need to do in terms of, of sharing Jesus and, and the, the hope of the gospel. We want to actually do it. We want to actually do that. And so we started down this road. And honestly, it was just a grand experiment, wasn't it? I mean... I mean, honestly, we're just like, well, what do we do now? I don't know. Let's try this. So what if it doesn't work? Well, I don't know. It won't be worse than whatever it was a couple years ago, so let's try it, right? I mean, there was kind of that spirit about it, like, let's just try it and see what happens. So now the question became, I think a couple years ago, even this year and last year, now what do we do? Can we even say, can, can we even say this? What do we do with some success? Like, what do we do when we feel like things might actually be working? And this is a new question for us to ask. What, what do we do when it seems like things seem to, to be working a little bit better, when there seems to be some traction, there seems to be some positive momentum. And this is what I hear from you, and you may have heard from one another, like, we like where things are going. And I wonder, where do you think things are going? Okay. We think there's some good things going on. What do we do? There's some follow-up questions to that, too. And one of those questions is this. What is this shaping us into? Okay, how, how are the things that have been going on around us from the Together Initiative and Great Send-Off and all that, what is this turning us into? You know, are, we, are, are our normal groups changing? Is our dynamic here on a Sunday morning, whatever, changing? What, what are we becoming through the process of this? And then the follow-up question to that is, what strategies need to be updated for continued impact, for growing impact for us to have? And so I think we're in the bottom part of this question now where it's no longer like, are we going to survive or what do we do? But it's more like, who are we becoming? And, and what do we need to continue to update to continue to grow and deepen the impact, okay? So in this process of questioning, what are we doing, where are we going, and all that stuff, and the good things are happening, but what exactly is it and all that, I think it's important to be clear on a couple things. One, it's important to be clear on what is not changing at Grace Point and what has not changed at Grace Point. As, as much as I want to be clear on what is changing and where we're going, I want to be clear on what is not changing. Um, and what is not changing, we start with this idea of our mission. That is, what are we doing here at Grace Point? And we, we talk about it this way, developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We talked about that for years, that our, the heartbeat of, of what we're doing is saying, we want people who want to follow Jesus and help them grow in that pursuit. Okay? So no matter where they are, like this boy here, this picture was taken of this boy in Barbados in 2011, whether it's internationally like this kid that we met when we were on our uh, summer camp venture in 2011, or whether it's locally, you know, whatever it might be, whoever we can have a chance to interact with and connect with, how can we help in every phase develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? 
Yeah, so our mission stays the same. But secondly, kind of our core beliefs stay the same. And, and this is important for, for us. For some of you, this is less important because you don't really care because you're just visiting and you're not sure even if you want to come back to the church or not. Others of you are like, hey, this is where I am. This is my home church. And, and this is important to me to know what we really value and believe in particular. Um, so this is important for you to hear, I think, about what we really believe as a church. I'm just going to summarize a couple things quickly, but these things have never changed and won't. So in the middle of what is changing, it's important to say these things are not changing. So, in other words, Jesus is still our Savior. Sin is still our problem. Grace is still God's offer. And faith is still our response. And the Bible is still God's word to us. Those are some simple things. Jesus is still our Savior. We're going to still talk about that. Sin is still our problem, and we're going to still talk about that without apology and and with clarity, that, that sin is still a problem for us. And that grace is still God's offer to us for salvation. And our response is still faith. And we still believe that the Bible is God's word, therefore authoritative for us and to us. So what is not changing? Here we go. Some things that are not changing about who we are and what we're doing. Okay? Now, what is changing? Now, if you'll allow me this privilege for the next couple of minutes, okay? Um, if you want to, if you can hang with me for a couple of minutes, I'm going to kind of revert back to several years ago. I used to quote people more, and some of you were like, that's so awesome you quote people. I have no idea what, they, what that meant, but it sounded really good. And I was kind of confused, so that must have meant it was a really smart quote or something like that. I, I don't know how that works, but, but here's the thing. I'm gonna, I want to I throw out to you um, some, just a couple of quotes. So give me just a couple minutes on this. I'm going to hit you a little more academically here because I think that this is why I'm, I'm doing this. Um, I want you to see that what we're feeling and experiencing and doing at Grace Point is not unique to our little part of the world. In fact, I think it's part of the bigger movement of what we see within the evangelical tradition right now, okay? So with that being said, I want to I just show a couple quotes, and I'll move quickly through them, but, but here we go. Um, Gabe Lyons, in one of his books, uh, The Next Christian, wrote this. He said, the church remains the epicenter of what is possible. It's the most uniquely positioned channel of cultural influence when it's operating on all cylinders. No other institution regularly convenes people who work within all channels of culture on a weekly basis. He goes on to finish the quote this way. On any given Sunday in the church, leaders from all channels join together to pray, worship, learn, and socialize all in one place. Then they are sent out, dispersed to support one another and to work within the sphere of society God has gifted and called them to in order to carry out his restoration work. Okay? A lot of words there. What he's saying is the church is the epicenter. This is the only institution that I know of in which all people from all different walks of life, from the educational sector, from the nonprofit sector, from the business sector, from the um, medical sector, and the, 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 the personal care, I mean, all kinds of people from all different walks of life creating all different kinds of culture, if you will, around us come together in one place to worship pray, learn, serve, and give, and then are sent out from here, are sent out from here in order to do the restoration work of God within our culture. So the church, when operating correctly, 
can be the epicenter of creating healthy, godly culture wherever we put our feet, hands, and, and heart. Okay? This is Gabe Lyons' perspective. I agree. Now, carry on over here to Tim Keller in a new kind of urban Christian. He writes this, Christianity will not be attractive enough to win influence except through sacrificial service to all people regardless of their beliefs. In other words, it's not enough to have a great sermon or a great worship team or a great you know, nursery or children's ministry or whatever it is. It's just not enough. Christianity will never, he, he makes a case, will never on its own be attractive enough to, to win influence except through sacrificial service to the people who are around us, regardless of their belief, regardless of what they believe, where they come from. It's just never going to win enough influence unless we do that. Okay? Thirdly here, John Stott, an Anglican, former Anglican priest who died a couple years ago, um, very thoughtful man, in the Christian mission in the modern world, he writes this, Mission describes everything the church is sent into the world to do, including the political dimension of social concern. While our love of neighbor is first expressed in our desire to share the gospel, it doesn't stop there but extends to all human needs. So all human needs have to be a part of what the church is about and what the church does. This is part of all of what we do, okay? This is John Stott. And finally, my last quote, okay, I promise. Well, I don't know if I promise, but it's close. Tim Keller in Center Church, he says this, and I, and I love the way this is phrased. I have to rethink this a lot because it's semi-complicated. One of Martin Luther's dicta was that we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Yeah, I like that sentence, alone. I didn't mean that, but that actually came out funny. <laughs> His point is that true gospel belief will always and necessarily lead to good works. But salvation in no way comes through or because of good works. Faith and works must never be confused for one another, and nor may they be separated. Okay, nor may they be separated. And so there's this great fusion of faith that works within our community. And so from, from Tim Keller to John Stott to Gabe Lyons, whoever you want to, you want to pick up there, what we're seeing is... There's a, a gospel-centered, if you will, a Jesus-centered concern that goes beyond simply, let's just tell people about Jesus and let's meet all the social, cultural, spiritual needs that we can meet. This is part of what the mission of the church is, is not just telling you about Jesus alone, but also engaging in very real ways with the social needs around us within our community. Now, if you're a visual learner, here's what the slide that you actually care about because the others you're like well all those people who like to read books that's for them here's a visual learner okay this is what we're doing this is what together and the great send-off is about the together initiative and the gso the great send-off is really kind of around these concepts this is what we're doing this is why you're like oh i think that might kind of be nice yeah this is well this is what we're doing this is the effort that we're trying to put forward okay so what is changing is the question because there is there has been changes there's a question about that over the years at gpc and the simple answer to that is simply this, strategy. The way that we're doing our mission has changed. I think there's no question about that. The way that we're doing what we're doing has changed. And here's, here's what's so important to me. And that is, it's so important to me to talk about what we're doing in language that um, is shared and is clear. And, and I've been wrestling with this next statement that I'm about to show you for a while. And you may read it and you're like, big deal, why were you wrestling with that? It's fine, you know, whatever, who really cares? That's fine. I worry about things like this. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care at all, but uh, I do. Um, and, and I think you all do because what I, what, what I want for us 
is that when we say, man, I'm, I really like where things are going, that you can answer that, well, what are, what are we doing? What is happening at Grace Point? And you can say easily, well, you know what? Here's what Grace Point is doing. Here's what we're about. Here's what we're doing. And you can answer it easily and that this phrase might be the phrase that you begin to use and say, this is what we're doing. And it may become the phrase where you say, you know what? This is what I want to do. This is what I want my family to be about. This is what, as a man and a husband, I want to lead my wife and kids into. I mean, this kind of thing, this captures it. This helps me realize what I'm doing and what the church can and should be about in terms of how we do, how we do our mission in developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So with that, are you ready? Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Some enthusiasm. Okay, there we go. Here we go. I'm going to roll it out now. Here we go. This, is, this has been going on, and I'll tell you, this, the, the word that leads this um, statement came to me when I was on a run. I hate running. I have to tell you that. I hate running. But I'm running, and I'm trying to get home, and I'm about a mile away from home, and I just want to stop, quit, and be done. Um, and, I, and I finally said, you know what? It, <laughs> I can't. Like, winners don't do that. You, you can't. Everything in my body was telling me, I need to be done, I need to be done, I need to be done. But I'm like, I, you can't. People who actually win and finish um, are just relentless. They just keep going. They just keep going and going and going, and they don't, they don't stop. They just don't ever stop. So, all that being said, I was wrestling with the language, and here's what I think. Here's what I think is the how of what we're doing, that Grace Point Church has been and is now relentless in our pursuit of the social, spiritual, and cultural good. That Grace Point Church is relentless in our pursuit of the social, spiritual, and cultural good that I believe we have been marked with a Together Initiative, with a great send-off, with the things that have been going on here, that we have a, a beginning marking of this place seems to care about more than simply, hey, come on in and hear a message, come on in and sing some songs, come on in and have your kids taken care of, that there seems to be something more there. And here's what I'd love for us to be, a church that is working out our mission by being relentless, never giving up in our pursuit of the social, spiritual, and cultural good. Now, all that needs explained. I'm not going to explain all of it because I don't have time, but here's, here's a simple way to put it. When I talk about social good, I mean this, how people relate to people. In other words, the families in our community, the parent-child relationships, the addictions of people, the emotional, relational health of people within our community, that socially we care about the social climate of our community, regardless of where you land. Spiritually, how people relate to God, that is fairly self-evident, just how they relate to God, how we connect people to God in terms of their spiritual needs. Culturally, this is a little funny, but how people relate to systems. In other words, um, the education system is a concern that the church should be about. The transportation system, the economic system, the system of rules that govern our local municipality are all areas of concern for a church that's interested in the cultural good. It's the systems that organize, if you will, behavior or create culture within our community. That a church that's relentless in the pursuit of the social, spiritual, and cultural good cares about the education system, transportation, the economic system, governance, and all of that, okay? Now, if you want some more biblical background for this, here's some passages I can get into them. I'm not going to today, but um, Jeremiah 29 is an incredible passage, and you stop to process that, Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7. Um, even uh, Matthew 5, which is a common passage about the common grace, God makes the sun to shine, and the rain to fall, and the evil and the good. John 1 and Ephesians 2.10 are all passages that you can kind of land on. So with that being said, again, if you're a visual learner, here's what this means. What does it mean to be relentless in pursuit? What does it look like? Matt and Julie Walsh in Burkina Faso. 
Many of you know, Matt and Julie, many of you don't, Matt and Julie in Burkina are doing the kind of work that I'm talking about right now. They're in Burkina and they have a concern, they have an interest in the spiritual needs of the people, yes. They're helping to build a church, yes. They're a part of that church, yes. But they also have a deep concern with the social and cultural needs of that community. In fact, this is why we're going back over there again to help finish the water tower and all that's a part of trying to bring water into this community. Matt has this vision for an electrical grid to be brought, which is an incredible vision, um, to bring in electricity to this community. They've been working with the agricultural arm to deal with um, rice harvesting and how that happens. Um, they're dealing with the handicap center and creating um, artificial limbs for people and all kind of prosthetic uh, limbs, that kind of a piece that there is within the focused ministry of what the Walshes do and what we partner with, this exact focus of the social, spiritual, and cultural good. Within our own work here, this is what the Together and Great Sendoff have been about. This is, what, this is a picture up here of, of the most recent partnership with the factory ministries when we are connecting with them on the factory um, Christmas uh, exchange where we're connecting in our community for the social good. Simple as that, for the social good, right there within our community. Relentless in that pursuit, okay? So what? So what? Like, okay, this is good. I have this language. Well, so what? Here's, here's the thing. Corporately, um, as a church body, here's, here's some thoughts. Our impact widens as our willingness to risk deepens. Isn't that exciting? Our impact widens as our willingness to risk deepens. In, in other words, here's what I've noticed. About five or six years ago, um, there was a great willingness to risk because we didn't have anything to lose at that point. <laughs> what, what more was there to lose? We've been through a period of deep pain. We didn't have anything to lose. And I believe the impact of the church has widened since then because our willingness to risk new things and try things has deepened. There's no question about that in my mind. And so I just want to say that I hope that we never lose that. I hope that as we have more to lose now, that we still don't lose that willingness to risk and trust and have faith in a great God. I hope we never lose that that willingness to risk and try things. And the way to do that, I think, is that each of us personally has a role. Each of us personally has a role. Because this, the story is the same personally, that growth occurs in the context of risk. And you know this, right? Your greatest growth has occurred in the context of risk. When you risked asking that girl out, and you knew that she might say no, but you did it and she said yes, Ooh, all of a sudden you grew. And when she said no, you're like, okay, now I grew on that one too, right? <laughs> Like, uh-huh, now I know, now I know. And when you, when you quit your job and, and went for a new one, and all of a sudden, I mean, there's great risk in starting your own business and all that you had to do, but it finally worked, or it didn't work, and you learned a lot about who you were, that in the context of risk is where you already know this, where you grow the best. In the context of stability and safety is where you, where you and I just start to kind of settle in, and we soak and sour, and we just turn into just kind of um, difficult people to be with. Um, to be honest, because we're very critical, uh, because everyone else is doing things wrong, and uh, I wish they could just do it right to keep my comfort level where it is. And that's just the reality of what we do. And so as long as we're willing to risk personally and grow personally, we then help contribute to the mission of the church, and I believe the mission of the gospel. And so here's, here's my story. Uh, last week, I'm sitting at my computer, and uh, I'm thinking, you know what? I've got to do this thing again. This, this idea of personal risk and growth, like, oh, boy. All right, I'm going to be speaking on this. I know I have to do that. But here's the thing. I'm sitting down there, and um, my daughter and my wife, again, are running a half marathon, the, the Garden Spot Half Marathon in April. And I'm like, good for them, go for them. I hate, I hate running. 
it's just so monotonous. It's like running, and you just one foot in front of the other. I, I'm a bike rider and enjoy that, and I enjoy pushing myself with riding. I have no problem with that, but running is just a, a pain. Um, so I decided, all right, you know what? I don't like running. I really don't like running distances, so I know I need to sign up for a marathon. And so I have, all right? So here we go. So I'm signed up for the Garden Spot Marathon on April 12th. Why? Because I'm crazy. All right, no. Why? Because I know. Yeah. Because I know that in the context of risk is where growth happens. And I know as I'm sitting there, to be honest, the only reason I'm doing this is not because I like it or I really want to, but because I know I need to do it for those, almost those very reasons. The very reasons why I want to push that back and push it away from me is why I need to step into it. I need to get that done. And I'm very uncomfortable with that. I don't even like the fact that I signed up for it, but I'm going to do it anyway, all right? And this is part of the deal, that as we do those things and step into those periods that are very uncomfortable personally, this is what helps us corporately encourage one another to step into our fears, to step into what we think are limitations, to say, no, 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 we can do this. God is not done with us yet. What in the world does it mean to be full of grace and full of truth and come and walk fully, unreservedly together? And so for you, it may not be a marathon. It's probably not a marathon for you, but maybe it is. Maybe it is. There's still time to sign up. But it might be for you. You know what? It might be for you. Man, there's been a conversation I've needed to have with my wife for a long time, and I just haven't done it. There's been a conversation I've needed to have with myself for a long time, and I've been waiting. There's an addiction that I have that I just have, I've been hiding from people, and I just haven't done it, and I, I, don't, I just haven't done it yet. It's too risky to go there, I, too much to lose. There's a conversation with your boss, with your employee, your employee you know you need to have, and you haven't done it. Why? It's just too risky. And I'm just telling you, the more that you are willing to risk, the more that you are in step with the ethos, the culture, if you will, of what Grace Point Church is wanting to be all about. Our greatest growth occurs in the context of greatest risk, okay? Edwin Friedman wrote in his little book, A Failure of Nerve, he said this, mistakes are expected in the culture of adventure, but feared in the culture of safety. Mistakes are expected in the culture of adventure, and that is the culture that I want to see at Grace Point Church, and that I think is beginning to mark us. There's a culture of adventure. It's okay to use that word. It's okay to use the word risk. Mistakes are expected in that culture. It's expected that when you try something new and different and brand, brand new and everyone, everyone ever thought about it before, man, that's just not always going to work. That's right. That's what risk is about. But that's where we learn. That's where we grow. Okay? My final picture I want to show you up here is a picture here of last year's Run, Ride, Walk. Uh, if you can't see it too well, um, you should have sat closer. Okay? It's as simple as that. All right? There's still seats up here. But no. A picture of... Our kids, not my kids only, these are not all my kids, uh, but a picture of our children and the community's children, some of your grandchildren, uh, some of your own kids, and maybe kids, some of you guys, up here um, getting ready to do the kids' run at the uh, Paradise Run Ride Walk uh, last year. And here's why I have that picture up there. Not only does it represent that we want to be involved in the community and we're helping to organize that and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, it does that. But here's what I see I see kids at the starting line ready to start the race. They're, they're ready to take that next step, and they don't even know what's going to happen. They don't know what the future holds in the race. They don't know who's going to come first. They all want to come first, and they run really, really, really fast, and they all kind of pass out and pant and pant, 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 until they finally come to the finish line, and it's a great win for everybody. But here's the thing. I would love, I would love these kids to grow up in a community that has a church, that is a church about adventure, and risk in our faith for God. That it becomes completely normal for them 
when they are confronted with their fears of stepping into things that they're afraid to step into, that it becomes normal for them where they say, you know what? My dad does that. My mom does that. I've seen my Sunday school teacher do that. This is what we do because we follow Jesus, who while it would have been comfortable to stay in heaven with God, in verse 2 of John chapter 1, took on flesh and brought grace and truth and took great risk to bring the hope of the world to me and to you. So I would love for this next generation that grows up that has kind of a whole race in front of them to run, that they would see people at Grace Point Church that are relentlessly in pursuit of the social and the spiritual and the cultural good of this community, who are living out fearlessly the power of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who came full of both grace and full of truth. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done to this point through GPC. We thank you that you are not done with the work here in our community. You are not done with us personally. You are not done with your witness here in this place. And I pray that you would give us individually the courage to step into areas of our life where fear has kept us from growing and living in a healthy way. Father, remind us of the great reach of your son, Jesus, who came came full of grace and full of truth. Came from heaven where sin was not a part of that environment. Came to us to reach us where we are. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to do likewise. We believe that you are a God who is strong, in might and power. And I pray that you would help us to represent your character, your characteristics, your personality well to those around us. Give us courage, I pray, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.